around 2010, I was touring the campus of an unnamed tech company when I heard a strange word for the first time, Hadoop. Everyone was talking about it, and they were really excited. I didn't know what it was. Actually, it seemed like the entire tech industry was talking about Hadoop. There were blogs and articles. And then, seemingly overnight, no one was. Everyone had moved on to the next thing. And while new innovation is great and all, it made me wonder, what happened to Hadoop? This is Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat. I'm Brent Semino. And I'm Angela Andrews. We go beyond the buzzwords and jargon and simplify tech topics. Today, we're exploring Hadoop's rise to prominence and where it stands today. Producer Kim Wong is here to get us started. Listeners may not think of Apache Hadoop as legacy software, but it's been around for a while since 2006. It's an open source project under the Apache Software Foundation, and it was the brainchild of Doug Cutting and Mike Caffarella. Hadoop stands for a High Availability Distributed Object-Oriented Platform, and while there is an acronym, (laughs) the name came from Doug's son's toy animal, which was an elephant, which is why the logo for Hadoop is an elephant. Despite the name, The Hadoop that people refer to is actually a software framework for data storage. And when we say data, we mean everything. Large data sets, media files, text files, everything. It helps me to think about Hadoop as like a dam or like a reservoir of water. So when you think about the water in a reservoir, you can maintain it, you can test it, you can manage it, you can access it when you need it but it's on standby if you don't need it. Hadoop was lauded as revolutionary, but after a while, it faded into the background. Today, the number of new users is shrinking, and it's looked upon as a dated technology. I wanted to dive deeper into Hadoop's origin. To do that, I bought back someone who is an old friend of the show, Sherard Griffin. Listeners might remember him from the episode on technical debt. Sherard is a red hatter, and he wrote the book on Hadoop. Well, not the book, but a book on its popularity in the early 2000s. When you think about Hadoop, it became really, really popular because it allowed you to collect all types of data. And for those of us who have been in the industry for a while, you'll remember like the days of Facebook and the days of even before that, where it's like you know, all this data is being collected, YouTube. We were told, just collect the data. You'll figure out what to do with it later. Like, just we need a system that can just collect every single piece of information about every single customer in our system. And we don't know what we're going to do, but by God, five, ten years from now, we'll figure something out to do with the data. Hadoop gave companies something they never had before, a method to store large data sets and coming data from users and store it until they knew what to do with it. I've heard from a number of technologists about Hadoop and the advanced capabilities of Hadoop, in their opinion, gave birth to what we understand to be data science today. So analysts could tap into large amounts of data and develop models for predictive analytics or for machine learning. And it all sounds really nice. But after a while, 
people started to see some challenges with Hadoop and its main selling point. And so what happened, Hadoop was really popular because it allowed you to collect all of that data in a way that if you needed to, you could do something with it. Now, what customers quickly realized is, okay, we're starting to store petabytes and petabytes of information, uh, but we don't necessarily have the right tools to be able to process all of it. Remember, this is the early aughts. Cloud computing was a thing, but it wouldn't become an integral part of IT infrastructure as we know it today until much later on. Not to mention the effects on IT operations when dealing with a Hadoop implementation. If you ever installed Hadoop bare metal, you know, it's quite a number of IT tickets to scale out your infrastructure to be able to uh, process additional data. And the data was coming in faster than they could scale out the infrastructure. And so the reason we wrote the book was because customers were coming across this challenge and they would come to us and say, hey, how do we build out the right infrastructure that allows us to scale it out? Angela, I'm curious if you have any experience with Hadoop. Like, do you, do you remember this moment that Kim is describing from the early aughts? I dupe. Yes. You it dupe. was one of the... <laughs> Stop. It was it was all the rage. It was big data. You heard about it out there in the world. It had never landed specifically in my data center because we were still all on prem back then. Mm-hmm. There was no cloud yet. We had a private cloud using virtualization, but the amount of data that we're talking about that Hadoop usually works for was out of our grasps. Mm-hmm. It could very well possibly been that there were some professors using it somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, scrapping together whatever they could for storage. But personally, I only heard of it as this buzzword for big data. Mm. I imagine it's around the same time that Facebook is coming to prominence. You had that kind of capability. And this was a new time where both both technologies, like social media as like a, a medium and also this new kind of like object oriented storage like infrastructure was coming about. Right. So you had these two things happening at the same time. Am I off or like, is that right? It sounds about right. The timeline is such that when we're talking about social media, that was Mm. all the rage at that time when you get the Facebooks and the, the, there are others out there that were around in 2008. But this is where you started to hear about the sheer amount of data that these platforms were responsible for, for mining and trying to figure out, well, now that we have it, you know, what do we do with it? And again, it was just one of those things that you just heard about. And, you know, think of Facebook. Yeah. It's literally like the pack rat of data. You're yeah. holding on to all this information back then and not really able to to figure out what to do with it? Question mark. It it just seems like I, I'm I want to see where this this episode is going because maybe that's why. I kind of get the logic though, you know, like it's like right. I mean, I I get this, you know. It's like oh, I might need this later. Let yeah. me go ahead and save it. <laughs> you know, like I don't know what this is useful for now, but like in the future, it might be. I I. I think I get the logic. Maybe maybe my stepdad's garage was the right metaphor instead of like a reservoir. It, it was the perfect metaphor. <laughs> it actually is. Yeah. For pack rats everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually have a copy of Sherard's book that he wrote, and it, it's really interesting. But he says something that really caught my attention. 
He likened Hadoop to a hammer. And when one has a hammer, other things, well, everything starts to look like a nail. Sherard gave us an example. I remember the very first time I used Hadoop in a production environment. Uh, we were building out an application for a company of mine, and we thought Hadoop was the right thing. We were just told, hey, you guys have to store, you're building a multi-tenanted cloud product, and you, you have to use Hadoop because that's the way these things are done. And so what did we do? We had all of our teams build out this fancy infrastructure with Hadoop. And boy, oh boy, we knew that if we just stored all the data in HDFS, then we'd be able to solve every single query that came in, whether it was real time or whether it was batch, we could do it. That architecture lasted about six months before we ripped out half of it because <laughs> we realized Hadoop is not going to save us in terms of allowing us to do anything we want. We still have to really understand what Hadoop is good at. Mm. Did they figure it out? Like, imagine putting all of this money and resources into something that six months later you go, yeah, no, this ain't it. Like, mm. <laughs> yes. But it's awesome that they were nimble enough to be able to say, this is really not the answer for us. It is an answer, yeah. but not an answer for what we're trying to do with this product. Absolutely. What next? Oh, I like what he says there at the end. Like, we mm. really have to understand what Hadoop is good at. Mm. And I feel like not enough of us, myself included, <laughs> asked that question at the beginning. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yes. And to your point, Angela, implementations of Hadoop, they aren't cheap. Mm -mm. And you need the personnel also to know how to work with Hadoop and all the different layers of like platforms and applications that run on top of it. So it poses kind of this conundrum of, hey, there's this thing that can solve, you know, the problems that are associated with like big data and this new kind of age of big data. But it may not be the tool that you need. You may not figure that out until you're already starting the work, which is messy. But it is nice to like have that pivot and be able to understand that maybe this is not the right tool. So Hadoop is really popular. It's all the rage. It's sort of people think it's going to solve a lot of these like big data problems. Yes. What happens next, Kim? Well... We heard from Sherard about the challenges that a Hadoop implementation can present. But where does the legend of Hadoop stand today? Well, we'll find that out next. Hi, I'm Mike Ferris, Chief Strategy Officer. I've been a Red Hatter for about 25 years. And before your episode starts, I want to talk a bit about AI. The hot topic right now is foundation models. And those are important, but at Red Hat, we see them as just a piece of the larger AI infrastructure. And here's what I mean by that. Enterprises are built of hundreds or even thousands of applications. It's not hard to imagine a future in which those applications are being served by hundreds or thousands of models. Without a common platform for your data scientists and developers, without a way to simplify some really complex workflows as you train, tune, serve, and monitor models, it can get overwhelming pretty quickly. And that's why we've built Red Hat OpenShift AI, a platform where everyone is working together on the same page to build and deploy AI models and applications with transparency and control. Find out how at redhat.com. I 
would like to introduce Michael Wells. He's an engineering technologist at Dell Technologies. When he spoke about Hadoop, the story he shared was similar to what we heard from Sherard. Most companies aren't implementing Hadoop themselves anymore. They're more consuming Hadoop as a service, relying on somebody else to, to implement it and manage it for them. Or a step beyond that, they're not even aware of the presence of Hadoop and they're consuming services that are built on top of it. Now that makes more sense to me. Yeah. You know, Hadoop hasn't gone away per se. You know, H-A-S-S. <laughs> Hadoop is a service. It's like, where are you going with that? But it's still there, you know, avocado. Huh. We're still there. It's It hasn't gone anywhere. But now that we think about out there in the cloud, where I'm assuming they're talking about we're consuming it as a service, there are probably other cloud mm. uh there are other cloud vendor services that are smarter in dealing with Hadoop and you're utilizing those services. Yes. Hadoop is the underpinnings, but these cloud native services have kind of taken the wheel at this point. Mm. Yes. I hope I'm heading in the right direction. You are. Okay. All right. That's what it sounds like he's saying here. 100% what he's saying. Yeah. According to both Michael and Gerard, Hadoop's popularity started to subside when other technologies started coming into play and the ability to scale, kind of what Gerard was talking about earlier, and also the flexibility. Yeah. Those two things were important on building on the success of Hadoop. But those other tools and those other projects... They're basically being stacked on top of Hadoop. The software framework itself became less relevant over time. But did it, though? Yeah. Like, why did people stop talking about it so suddenly? Like, what What do you think, Angela? I don't know. Well, it's still there. Yeah, still we're, there. We're hearing that it is still there, but there are other services on top of it that make it more accessible. Yep. So these are, you know, Hadoop is this huge framework. And then there are things over top of it, cloud native services on top of it that are that know how to use it. They're the smarts mm. where, you know, Hadoop was just this one big thing and it's all this data. Something had to be built to make it make sense, to be mm. able to get into this data, to get the kind of data out of it that you're putting into it. How are we filtering you know, all of this data to disparate services somewhere? Mm. It's still great that it does what it does, but that's not enough, mm. right? You need these other cloud-native services that do these things, very particular things that can utilize this service. It hasn't gone anywhere, but no one's in the business of managing and maintaining it anymore because mm. the cloud providers pretty much have cornered the market on that. Yeah. But there's more to the story, mainly because, like you said earlier, Angela, implementing Hadoop affects more than scalability. Here's Michael again. It's not that nobody's talking about it. I think the conversations have just moved into smaller circles. So a lot of organizations rushed to implement Hadoop and realized this is difficult or this is expensive, right? Data scientists aren't cheap. Data lakes, because you can throw anything into them, they grow very, very big, very, very fast. And if you never reach the point of being able to determine the value of the data, you've got a lot of investment in infrastructure and you're not seeing any return out of that data, right? So I think a lot of that has shifted into 
services and service providers. And a lot of the conversation kind of shifted to not so much from Hadoop, but shifted less to how you're storing the data and more to what you're doing with the data. Oh, so the conversation that we were talking about before where it's like, let's just collect as much as possible and we'll do something later. Mm-hmm. It's like it's flipped to like, okay, no, we really need to think about like, what are we doing with this data? Exactly. Because data is money. It most certainly is. Petabytes cost money. So mm-hmm. gone are the days when you're just storing and trying to figure it out. You have to be very prescriptive because every piece of data that comes along may not be what's going to make you your money back. You know, let's just store it all. But you only need this much data to get some value out of everything that's coming through. I think organizations have just gotten much more smarter Mm. in Mm -hmm. understanding that data is king. But we need to be very thoughtful about what data we need to be concerned with Mm. to make our product or our business successful. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think managing that data and picking and choosing that data has become more the new hotness as opposed to just store it all and we'll figure it out. No, we're going to figure this out first. (laughs) Operational strategy. We've already stored it all. (laughs) So then there's the million dollar question, right? This series is about legacy technology. Is it still worth it for technologists to learn Hadoop? Mm. I've done my own research and the answers I've got are mixed. Okay. Yeah. Some say it's beneficial to understand it, while others say learning everything on top of it or the things on top of it, kind of like Spark, for example, is one that is really popular. They're more useful because large Hadoop implementations are mostly a thing of the past. Mm. For Michael, it's important for people to think about what they're passionate about and not laser focus on what they need to learn or what they feel like they need to learn. Those are the types of things you're going to get burnout on, right? I don't want to learn this, but I have to learn this. So you're not going to invest the time in mastery that you should, and it's going to be exhausting. If you can focus on those things that you're passionate about, it makes it a lot easier I mean, you enjoy reading the latest articles about new advancements and new technologies and new design patterns and how people are doing things. When it's exciting like that, then that continuing education isn't a chore. Brent, Angela, I have a question for you both. How do you feel about continuing education and how do you approach what to learn versus what's just popular right now? How do you figure out what steps to take and what to learn next? That is a good question. <laughs> I'm going to have to let Brent, I'm going to have to let you go first. I need I to mull say, that one over. I was going to say, this is an Angela question. <laughs> well, I think, you know, something that Michael was saying earlier about not being laser focused on things that you quote unquote need to learn, you know, mm. I think that that's important. But I want to emphasize that, like, not being laser focused on it, Mm. because, like, there are some things that you need to know and it sucks to learn and you don't enjoy it. Absolutely. But you just 
you just do it, you know, like you learn how to do it and you kind of move through it. Mm. I think what he's saying right there, though, is that like if you do that too much, then learning is going to be a drag Mm. and you're going to get burnt out and you're not going to want to do it anymore. So you need to also have something that you're really excited about. Right. And something that like you really genuinely enjoy learning and that you're curious about. That is true. Thank Hmm. you for that. Thank you for inspiring my answer. Uh, (laughs) So we cannot spend a lot of time deep diving into all the things. It's not possible. It's not feasible. There's not enough hours in the day. So it's better that we are driven by the things that excite us. Mm. And it might be something, you know, this quarter, it's... (laughs) Just had a brain fart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, literally, you know, it depends on what's going on in the market, in Mm. technology, on what you're working on at the moment. That tends to drive where your interests are, right? Mm. And... You always want to follow your heart, like where you think things are going and where you find value. Um, Right. This quarter, it's generative AI. And next quarter, it may be something totally different. But what you have to do is knowing you can't deep dive into everything, but because you're always staying curious, Mm. you'll learn a little bit about this and understand how something works with this. And, you know. You'll pick and choose because you want to be able to have an intelligent conversation Mm -hmm. depending on what your role is. Because especially if it if it comes across your desk, you really want to be able to understand what's going on out in the markets and what your customers are using. And all of your other stakeholders are thinking about whatever this technology is. So Mm -hmm. staying curious is a huge part of it, but also understanding you can't be a subject matter expert in everything. Follow your heart. Yeah. I agree with Brent. What are your passions? What sings to you? Those are the things that you should spend your time on. Everything else is, let me just read a little bit here. Let me pick and choose. Mm. Yeah. There, there's something, uh, like, I love losing an afternoon or losing a few hours at night to just, like, following something that I'm just curious about in the moment or just like mm-hmm. researching something or playing with something just because I'm curious in that moment about it. Sometimes I I, I think I'm like, a, like an overachiever or something and I feel like I have to set myself on this regimented learning schedule, <laughs> you know? And there, there's a time and there's, there's a place for that. But I'm now I'm going to sing the praises of like, losing an afternoon to a curiosity. Mm. I second it. I think we should all do that, though. Yeah. I think it's something that all of us, even our listeners, like, if stay curious. There's always something that interests you and give it the time it deserves. Uh, I want to bring it back to Michael because the hype machine for Hadoop was going strong in the early aughts. And then it's sort of petered out a bit once the implementations were in place, once people kind of understood the technology and they realized that there was kind of more going on than what they bargained for. Mm -hmm. But what does the story of Hadoop, like how it started and where it is today, what does it tell us about the tech industry? It tells us that the IT industry has a very short memory. I've been in IT for over 20 years now. And even just in my 
relatively short time, I have learned that things come full circle. I mean, you look at the mainframe days and centralization and dummy terminals, and right, and there's a lot of value in centralizing the data and centralizing the processing. But then we move into workstations and distributed computing and uh, separating things out, and then they come back together again, and then they separate back out again, and so in in. Every few years, somebody goes, "Oh, I've got this new idea." And if you really look closely at it, it's probably not that new of an idea. If he didn't tell it from the mountaintop, yes, that yes. is so <laughs> true. Oh my! So as he's talking, I'm thinking about the technologies that I've seen that are, you know, coming through, and mm-hmm. there a lot of them are just improvements or rehashing or rebranding or rearchitecting of things that you've seen 15 20 years ago. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun in in, in a lot of respects. It sounds like what Michael's saying. You stay around long enough, you're going to see it come back in a different iteration. Mm-hmm. So, Kim, Angela, I'm curious how we're thinking about Hadoop now (laughs) it seems like maybe it's not something that we're going to be interacting with or seeing day to day right now Mm -hmm. but what can we maybe learn from this and what are you both taking away my takeaway is we're learning that the newest technology is great but it is not the tool for everything that comes down the pike, right? We should be very aware and weary of things that come in and want to be this end-all be-all until we fully understand what these use cases are for. I think staying aware of said things is very important, but I also think that since we're not fortune tellers, we should be saying to ourselves, Okay, technology, this is what's happening right now. It is steeped in X. How are we going to see these new iterations come through? So I've learned that there's nothing new under the sun. Mm. I think new technologists should be aware. Do your homework. Understand what Hadoop or any other tool was made for and why folks are using it. But you don't have to spend a whole lot of time on it because as things come along and build themselves on top of these air quote legacy type tools, Mm. you really need to know where your work is and what Mm -hmm. you're doing. And as long as you have an understanding, you don't have to be a subject matter expert in Mm. distributed file systems and whatnot to get your job done. Mm. You should respect it. You should understand it. Mm. But, you know, we can't know all the things. Mm. Mm. Kim, how are you thinking about this? You know, Michael's parting words for us are, to me, the definition of legacy technology. Something that Mm. builds upon the success and innovation of the thing that came before it. If anything, Hadoop is in this series because it's both an inspiring story and a cautionary tale at the same time. The hype machine was definitely running, and it was warranted because it's an open source project that changed the way companies and everyone else looked at data. Mm-hmm. It gave data scientists a playground to kind of grow their capabilities and, by extension, their profession. But some organizations went all in before knowing what their goals were. 
and how it would affect their infrastructure in the long term. You don't say. Angela said it. No one's a fortune teller. No one can predict the future. What innovations are around the corner? But following a trend without a strategy can be very costly. Sometimes the hammer is just a hammer, and it's up to us as technologists to figure out what's a nail and what isn't one. And that's on everything. I am so glad we did this episode because it it's showing folks that technology and and hype are real mm-hmm. and we can't get dragged into it. And I'm just curious about as folks are listening to this podcast, what are they thinking? Mm. We want to know what you're thinking about trends and tech trends and what's old is new. You have to share your thoughts with us. Hit us up on Twitter at Red Hat. Use the hashtag compiler podcast. Tell us about legacy technology or definitely like what's the hype machine technology you're dealing with now and why and what's your use for it? You know, mm. again, you have to be able to discern what is really a nail, right? I think Kim put a nice point on that. No pun intended. So ah. definitely tell us what you're thinking. <laughs> Hit us up and, t- and share with us. We'd appreciate it. And that does it for this episode of Compiler. Today's episode was produced by Kim Wong and Caroline Craighead. A big, big thank you to our guests, Sherard Griffin and Michael Wells. Victoria Lawton may not have all the answers, but by God, five or ten years from now, she'll have it all figured out. (laughs) Our audio engineer is Robin Edgar. Special thanks to Sean Cole. Our theme song was composed by Mary Anchetta. Our audio team includes Lee Day, Stephanie Wonderlake, Mike Esser, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Jared Oates, Rachel Ertel, Devin Pope, Matias Valdez, Mike Compton, Ocean Matthews, Paige Johnson, and Alex Trabulsi. If you liked today's episode, please follow the show. Rate it, leave it a review, share it with someone you know. It really does help us out. We love that you listen. Thanks for hanging in there. We will talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. All right. See you next time. 